Romans 8, verse 26, the title of our message is (laughs) Hope and the Spirit's Help. There you go. This message is about how God, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. Are you feeling weak this morning? Are you a little unsure how to pray? Or perhaps whether prayer does any good at all? Do you find yourself asking God, God, what are you doing? Are you doing anything? God, why don't you do something about that which is hurting me or causing me to suffer? Do you, do you find yourself in a state of weakness, needing help? You know, we do this morning, providentially, uh, technically we do. And for some of us, it's about to that extent, what we've just experienced this morning. It's the normal human weakness that we all experience, our limitations, power outages, and it produces in us nothing more than simply a nagging question. You know that question that roams around in your mind when you're driving to work, stuck in traffic, taking a shower, mowing the lawn? You know, just, God, why? What's going on? And you just sort of sigh and you think, well, we live in a fallen world and power outages happen and things happen that I don't want to happen, but okay, I think I'm okay. I just feel weak, God. But for others of you this morning, the weakness has grown into weariness. You feel that you are at the end of your strength. You haven't asked God for anything recently because you don't have the strength to, nor the faith to. You come home, you plop yourself down on the couch, you turn on the TV, the computer, the iPad, or your tablet, and you stare mindlessly at the screen, binge-watching the latest series on Netflix. God has a word for you this morning. It's a word of hope. It's a word of help. And that word is found in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 30. So let me pray for us. No matter where we are on the spectrum that I just described of human weakness, that we would hear God's word. God is here. God the Holy Spirit is here with us. And he promises us help. He promises to help us understand this scripture. That's why he was given to us, amongst many other things. And he's here to intercede for us. So let me pray now. Let me pray in Jesus' name to God the Father, in the name of God the Son, with the power of God the Holy Spirit in this prayer that he help us. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you'd help me to preach this word in a way that is faithful to you. And Lord, help my friends to hear the word in a way that is undistracted with all the distractions that are going on. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read the word. Romans 8, beginning in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, He also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. 
and those whom he justified, he also glorified. We need help, don't we? And in verse 26, God, the Holy Spirit, provides us with that help and that hope. You see the word likewise there at the beginning of verse 26? It refers back to verses 24 and 25 that tell us that we have hope, a hope born in our hearts by the Spirit of God. This hope is the Spirit's work, and this hope is what helps us because we so need help. When I first arrived at the University of Florida back in 1974, I needed lots of help as an incoming freshman. I pledged the fraternity, and one of the first things that we did was we all chose big brothers. They said, choose someone that will help you navigate the turbulent waters of your freshman year at Florida. I'm not sure I chose wisely, but here I am. My son, Joseph... Uh, just completed his second year at Nova Southeastern University. And last school year, he had the privilege of being a mentor for an incoming freshman by the name of KJ. KJ's from Maryland, and Joe provided a mentorship, provided perspective, provided help for KJ. And in the process, they became really good friends. In a much greater way, God gives us a helper. Far greater than a big brother, far greater than a mentor. It's God, the Holy Spirit. And he helps us. He gives us perspective. And like Joe and KJ, he develops this relationship between us. God, the Holy Spirit, is the very helper that Jesus, God the Son, Jesus Christ, promised that God the Father and he would send us. This helper, God the Holy Spirit, God with us right now, was promised by God the Son, Jesus Christ. Look, John 14. There is a buzz somewhere that if we could find and eliminate, I would be gloriously grateful. John 14, 15 and 17 says this. If you love me, Jesus speaking, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. That's that word parakletos, paraclete, a helper, speaking of the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus is saying this is what's going to happen. And in fact, it's happening. He says it again in John 14, 25 and 26. Jesus speaking, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Here in our text in Romans 8, 26 to 30, we have a beautiful picture of the Trinity in prayer. We're going to see it in a moment. We have God the Father who sent God the Son and God the Son, and God the Father sent God the Holy Spirit, and they're, they're all involved in this prayer. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son, and the Spirit is interceding in and through us. In fact, later we're going to see that the Son intercedes for us in heaven, while the Spirit intercedes for us in our hearts. Isn't that amazing? This is Trinitarian. This is beautiful. This is uniquely Christian. No other religion has this, because Here, this is the truth. This is what God is speaking to us. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it's the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, who is sent to us to help us. And that's who Paul is speaking of here in verse 26. God the Father has sent God the Holy Spirit to help us in our weakness. And according to the text, 
God the Holy Spirit helps us to know and experience God the Father's care and purpose for our lives. In fact, that's the main point of this message. God the Holy Spirit helps us know and experience God the Father's care and purpose for our lives. Just as a big brother brings perspective and a mentor helps us in our areas of weakness, building a relationship with us like Joey and KJ, so the Holy Spirit, in a much greater way, a much more profound way, comes and helps us, gives us life. We learned that the last couple of weeks, and now builds this relationship between us and God the Father because of what God the Son, Jesus, did to take our sins and give us his righteousness. So we experience God's care and God's purpose through the Holy Spirit. And boy, do we ever need it. Because look at verse 26b. We don't even know how to pray. Look at that with me. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, period. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Like, I don't know how to pray. I mean, do I pray if I'm suffering? Do I pray that my suffering would be relieved? Or do I pray that I have the strength of character by the Holy Spirit so I can walk through that suffering in the power of God and grow in maturity? Do I pray that the buzzing stop or do I just pray that I learn how to have self-control and not let it bother me? (laughs) Seriously, I don't know how to pray. I was speaking to one of my adult children the other day and we were talking about a job situation that they were in and we agreed there were two ways to pray. Do we pray for relief from a difficult situation? Or do we pray for contentment to work where God has placed them because God's doing something else in their lives? We don't know how to pray. I mean, we often pray for relief from the suffering, but we really don't know if that's God's will because we learned last week or two weeks ago that it's through suffering that we come to glory. Romans 8.17. We'll receive the, the glory of Christ and share in it if we also share in his sufferings. So we don't even know how to pray. So here's the deal. What we need is we need help in these times. We need help to know two things. We need help to know God's care and God's purpose for our lives. So point one, know God's care. In our weakness, we don't know how to pray, as we just said. But God, the Holy Spirit, intercedes for us. Look at the rest of verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Comma. But... But God, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. See, while God the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in our hearts, God the Son intercedes for us in the heavens. Oh, this is great. Look at Hebrews 7.25. Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. The him and the he there is Jesus. Since he, Jesus, always lives to make intercession for them. I love this quote from Doug Moo in his commentary on the book of Romans. There is one in heaven, the Son of God, who intercedes on our behalf, defending us from all charges that may be brought against us, guaranteeing salvation in the day of judgment. Oh, Christian, listen to this. But there is also, Paul asserts in these verses, an intercessor in the heart, the Spirit of God, who effectively prays to the Father on our behalf throughout the difficulties and uncertainties of our lives here on earth. Friends, we are never alone. God carries us in intercession, both in the heavenlies and in our hearts. You are not 
alone. God the Son intercedes for you in the heavens. God the Spirit intercedes for you in your heart. You are not alone. And these groanings that it speaks of, these groanings, it's a unique term, but really they're just the silent, unspoken prayers of the Spirit. They capture our silent, unspoken desire for redemption and the consummation of all things. When the lights go out, when the bee stings, when the dog bites, when the car breaks down, when the friend walks away, when this happens, when that happens, there is a corporate cosmic sighing. And part of that, though you don't even know it, is what God put in you to want this whole thing, this whole mess to get resolved. When Adam said, I'm going my way and not your way, God. And Adam said, I'm going to do my own thing. And he sinned. And God said, the moment you sin, you die. And we all died in Adam. From that moment, all of creation has been corporately, cosmically sighing. It's called groaning from last week. And the Christian groans. And the spirit groans. And he is uttering these unspoken prayers on our behalf. Is that not care? Is that not care? God cares for us. Do you know God's care this morning when you don't know how to pray? God's care is communicated to you through the Holy Spirit who indwells you and intercedes for you with groanings too deep for words. Now let me just appeal to you. If you are not a Christian here this morning, you do not have the Holy Spirit. We saw that in John 14. Jesus said, I'm sent, the Father is sending the Spirit. We are sending the Spirit to those who repent and believe, to those who, who are my people, whom I save. And so I appeal for you this morning. You can't know this comfort. You can't know this care. You are alone. But there is an opportunity, if you are here listening to my voice right now, that you would repent and believe in Jesus. And I make that appeal to you with all respect and love. And if you are a believer, then I pray that you would experience this morning in the midst of your suffering the care that Jesus gives us. God the Father, God the Son, give us, communicated through God the Spirit who's interceding in us. It's going to come through His Word. There are two passages that Desi and I are memorizing right now as we are experiencing significant temptations to think, God, where are you in some situations? There have been some departures that have just grieved us. And so we've gone to these two scriptures, and I love them, and they just fortify what we just learned in Romans chapter 8. Look at them. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. This is a good one to memorize. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Oh, I love verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you, church. He cares for you. He cares for you. He cares for you. He knows exactly what you're going through right now. And Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. No, don't do that. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I don't even know how to pray. I'm anxious. The light just went out. Is everybody okay? What's going on? We were, I was really worshiping great to that song. Lord, what happened? I don't even know how to pray. 
Maybe you want the lights off. Maybe you're doing something amazing here. I don't know. You are doing something amazing here. I don't know how to pray, but I'm going to pray. Lord, I'm praying. I'm groaning. I'm inside. The Spirit's interceding. Lord, you are on the, at the throne interceding for me. God's working. God's working. And he's caring for us. No one got hurt yet. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Look at this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. These are these groanings that are unutterable that the Spirit does. Those are, they're silent prayers is what they are. I don't get it, but I feel my heart is guarded right now by the peace of Christ. My mind is guarded by the peace of Christ. I am not going insane with thoughts about why that happened and who did what and why did they do this and what's going to happen. No, I'm guarded. God cares for me. Oh, Christian, I I want you to experience that. Oh, non-Christian, I want you too, but it's in Christ, only in Christ. See, when we pray according to God's word, we experience his care and his peace because the Holy Spirit intercedes for us according to God's will. Look at verse 27. And he who searches the hearts, that's God the Father, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for saints according to the will of God. So we have both God the Son, Jesus Christ, interceding for us in the heavenlies, and we have God the Spirit interceding for us in our hearts, and they're interceding for us according to God's will because It's God. I know. Smoke's coming out of your ears. Your eyes are beginning to troll in your head. We're in the deep part of the pool. I got that. But here's the Trinity. One God, three persons. So there's prayer going up. And even sometimes when I don't know how to pray, or even when I pray incorrectly, and I pray for the wrong things, God the Holy Spirit is in me. He's praying God the Father's will because this is God praying. This is the Trinity, the Godhead functioning And the Spirit's in me praying. So I declare peace to you, dear Christian friend, because you know God's care by the Spirit who indwells you and who intercedes for you. Point two, we know God's purpose. Know God's purpose. So know God's care existentially, experientially, because the Spirit is in us. Intellectually, yes, but we know it. Late at night when we wake up with those thoughts we don't want to have, the fears, the anxieties, we know his care. And that peace guards our hearts and our minds in Christ. But then we also know God's purpose. His purpose isn't just to wrap us in the cocoon of his care so we can drift off silently into eternity doing nothing. No. I know for some Christians that's what you want. You want a cruise liner. We're not on a cruise liner. We're on a working vessel. A freight ship. No one's coming to you serving you lobster and steak. Praise God. Not yet. (laughs) We're suffering now. Praise the Lord. We're working. What is God's purpose? Well, verse 28 starts with a key phrase. And it contrasts the phrase we saw in verse 26. Look at the phrase in verse 28. How does it start? Look at it with me. And we know. Oh, and we know. Remember the, verse in, remember the phrase in verse 26 in the middle? For we do not know. <laughs> well, now we know. What do we know? We know God's purpose. Verses 28 to 30, and particularly verses 29 and 30, are going to reveal God's purpose, his redemptive purpose for our lives. But what does verse 28 tell us? 
It tells us that God is working. Read it with me. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Some would translate that perhaps a little differently. God is working all things together for good. I believe the New American Standard Version translates it that way. And one says it doesn't matter because God is sovereign and he's working all things together for us for good. This verse is like a pillow for our weary heads in time of trouble and suffering. Friends, God is at work for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's just another way of saying for Christians. You can't earn this. This is what you have because you are in Christ. See, the question I always ask myself is this. On those particularly rough days or rough weeks or rough months or rough years, (laughs) God what are you doing? God, how are you working? Lord, I know you are working, and I know you are working for good, and I know you are working for good according to your purpose, and those who love you, and those who are called according to your purpose, and that's me because you called me. Lord, I want to see your works. What are you doing? Well, here's the deal. God is always working. He's sovereign. He rules over all. Nothing happens apart from him. Nothing. And he works all things together for good, yay, according to his purpose, not our purpose. And there's where the rub is. Can the lights please come on? No, Al, that's not my purpose. What? (laughs) Like your little kid, you know. I want that to be my purpose. I love you too much, Al. It's not my purpose. So you should be asking me a question. All right, Al, what's his purpose? That's where we get to verses 29 and 30. Look at them. In verses 29 and 30, Paul, God through Paul, lays out his purpose, his redemptive purpose for each one of his children, and in so doing gives us the hope, hope based on the richness of this doctrine of salvation. The fancy term in theology is soteriology. This is a beautiful place where we get our doctrine of salvation. It's a, it's a gorgeous scripture. It's an awesome scripture. It's a powerful text. Let's read it together again. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, Christ, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And that's generic, brothers and sisters. That's us. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That is called the golden chain, what I just read to you. And it is glorious. Man's, and I think I'm quoting another author, I'm not sure yet, but this is not original to me. Man's fingerprints are not on that chain. That chain is of God. He initiates it. It is, he's the subject of every one of these verbs. It's him doing it. You got that? Now, we respond. Oh, yeah. But we couldn't respond unless he first initiated. But I get ahead of myself, which I often do. In these four clauses... God reveals his purpose, his redemptive purpose. He reveals the plan of salvation. If you're here and not a Christian, this is the thing you want to pay attention to. You want to pay attention to all of it, but especially to this. Because here is the plan of salvation. God very well may have brought you here this morning to hear this because this is, this is your morning of being called. One of the deals there is he's called certain people. God may be calling you right now. So if he is, he will give you the ability to pick up the phone. He'll actually give you the ability to hear the phone. The other day, my phone, uh, people were calling me, and I just never you know, answered. And I realized I had turned my ringer all the way down. I couldn't hear the phone. 
And apart from God giving you the grace, you can't hear it when he calls. But when he does give you the grace, you can't, can't do anything but hear it and pick it up and answer. So these four clauses, they're parallel clauses, reveal God's golden chain. So let's take a look at them. You ready? Number one, those who he foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. All right, let's look at this word foreknew for a second, or foreknow. Uh, It is not simply that God thought about us before time. He did do that. Or that he somehow knew what we would decide before the beginning of time, back at the point where we would decide it, and then made a decision based on that. No, 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 no. May Genetan, no. No, no. This is God setting his affections on us. That's what it means that he foreknew us. It comes from the Hebrew concept of to know when God knows. The, the Hebrew word yada or yada. said that the same way both times. Just thought I'd fake you out there. Yada. Whatever. And it's this idea of God setting his love on us. He foreknew us. He set his love on us. It's not so much that he knew something about us, but that he knew us. He extended unto us. He entered into a relationship with us like Joey and KJ. Joey wasn't just KJ's mentor. They they became close friends. This is the idea here when he foreknew us. This is speaking of this Hebrew word. It's speaking of his covenant love. God set his affection on us before the foundation of the world. He chose us. Oh, Christian, that's a comfort, even when the lights go out. Even if the AC would have gone out. And worse. And why did he foreknow us? He he foreknew us to predestine us, to predestine us to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. There's your purpose in life. There's what God has called us to do. That, not do, but be. There is what God said, I'm going to do with my people. I'm going to conform them into the image of Christ. This is the purpose of God's electing grace electing grace this is the purpose of god setting his affection on you is to conform you to the image of christ now what does that mean well it means this christ we know it from the text was is the it is to be the firstborn from the dead so it has to start with the fact that jesus was the first one who died raised from the dead given a resurrection body a glorified body And that God promises that one day he's going to give all Christians that same resurrected, glorified body. We've already studied this earlier in Romans 8. So he's promised us one day that this body will be given an eternal resurrected body, an immortal body. Christ will be the firstborn from the dead among many brothers. Hebrews speaks of him as being our elder brother. We're brothers in Christ. He's also our Lord. I know it's a little difficult to understand, but... It's true, he's the firstborn from the dead among many brothers. And that is our promise. 
That is God's purpose. But I believe it goes beyond that. I believe it also goes when it says to be conformed into the image of Christ. <clears throat> I believe it's, it's, it means becoming more and more like Christ. Being conformed to his image and our character, which begins right now. God is restoring us back into his image. The very image that was marred by sin. This is going to happen, church. It's certain. We are going to be conformed into the image of Christ. I like, again, how Doug Moo comments on this. Now it is God's purpose to imprint on all those who belong to Christ the image of the second Adam. What does that mean? That means that the first Adam had the image of God, but when he chose to disobey God, what happened to that image of God would be like taking this sheet of paper right here, and when sin came, it's like crumpling it up. And if I had a crayon or a, or a pen or something like that, I would mark it and then putting it on a copier, making a copy and then taking the copy and ripping it in half and ripping it in half again and then crumpling it up and putting coffee on it and then marking it up and then making a copy of that. And by the time you get to this, there's barely the image of God. I mean, one of the reasons man has dignity, one of the reasons we don't murder, one of the reasons that abortion is wrong is that we're made in the image of God. You don't kill Someone made in the image of God. That's wrong. That's murder. So God is restoring this image that has been marred by sin, putting it back together in Christ so that in Christ that image would be restored. Yes, that means ultimately one day this body that's dying now will get a body that doesn't die because death was introduced with sin. So we're going back to that place and he is restoring paradise. He is restoring the Garden of Eden. He's restoring man to back to where he originally created him. And he did that through Christ. And that will be consummated on that day, but it starts today. It's based on fact in the past. There's a very important aspect of that we have to understand and embrace. But, but, it, but it takes place now and it's progressive as I walk this down. I'm becoming more and more like Jesus in my character. And then my hope is one day it will be consummated at his second coming. This is glorious. Second link in the chain. Those he predestined, he called. Those he predestined, he called. This is what is called, in theological terms, God's effectual calling. This is God calling us into relationship with himself. Those whom he foreknew, set his affections on. He predestined before the foundations of the earth to be his people, to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Those people then he calls, and he calls them through the gospel. Dear unbeliever, I'm calling you right now. It's up to God whether it's an effectual calling. That's, what it's, that's what's being spoken of here. Because see, this called person then responds to the initiative of God, and it's always God's initiative. So the next point, those whom he called, he justified the third link in the chain, this golden chain. God's the subject of all these verbs. He justified, and what does that mean? Oh, we've been preaching this for the last how many months in Romans. This is what Romans is all about. Justified by faith alone in Christ alone, through the grace of God alone, the Spirit of God awakening our hearts and communicating to us that God did what the law could not do. He made us right with him. He took our sins. Jesus died on the cross, was cursed for us to reverse that curse on us. And now we're blessed in Christ. We have his righteousness. This is what it means to be justified. And then finally, those he justified, 
he glorified. Those he justified, he glorified. We're back to the theme of glory. This is a theme that we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks. We saw it at 8.17. If we share in Christ's sufferings, then we will share in his glory. God promises to keep us until the day of glory. The glory of Christ that we shall share. I explained that to you a little earlier. It's our bodies being resurrected with Christ. He's the firstborn from the dead. But it's also our character. It's also ruling and reigning with Christ. Do you know that that's what God initially uh, intended when he created man, was that man would rule and reign under his authority? We're going to get to do that with Christ, under Christ's authority, in a new heavens, in a new earth. This is the good that God is working in us. This is how God works everything together for good to those who love him who are called according to his purpose. Let me just bring one more thing to your attention. The verb glorified there, if you'll notice, all of these verbs are in the past tense. In the Greek, that's called the aorist. But wait a second. How can glorified be in the past tense? I thought that's future tense. It is. It's something called the prophetic past. It's in the Bible when something is so certain, even though it's a prophetic word about the future, It's put in the past tense to communicate that that's going to happen. It's going to happen, church. We are going to be glorified. No matter how much you're suffering, no matter how much lack of glory you may be experiencing, even shame, your future, Christian, your destiny, dear Christian, because God foreknew you, because God predestined you, because God called you, because God justified you, God will glorify you with his son, Jesus Christ. That's true. Bank on that. Bank on that. God alone holds this chain. God alone will complete what he began in us. Before I conclude, I sense that there might be a few of you here today that were suffering because of things done to you. You, you. you are here today and you're saying to me, you know, Al, I hear you say, and I hear scripture say, that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to this purpose. But there's no way that that can work together for good. You don't know what they did to me. And, and I'm, I feel like one of the applications for you is this. Dear friend, I know you've suffered. I'm sorry for that. Some of you, it's been very serious. And you ask, how can God bring anything good out of this? Well, he can. And he does. He works through even our sin or the sin of others to accomplish his purpose in our lives. Remember, his purpose in our lives is salvation, is the glory of Christ. And we get there through suffering. Romans 8, 17 teaches us that. There are two Old Testament applications that I thought might help you. So write these down. I'm going to put the text up on the, on the screen for you. The first is Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. And his brothers really wanted to kill him. But one brother prevailed and said, let's just sell him as a slave to the Egyptians. And many, 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 many years later, after God had done many wonderful things through Joseph... His brothers were freaking out, thinking, Joseph's going to kill us now that our dad is dead. Listen to what Joseph said to his brothers. Genesis 50, 20. As for you, 
you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Are you suffering or have you suffered because of what others have done or are doing to you? They may have meant it for evil, but your sovereign God means it for good according to his purpose. I say that with tears in my eyes, knowing what some of you have suffered. And the second example deals with our sin. Maybe it's not someone else's sin, but maybe we're suffering because of our sin. We think that's it. The party's over for us. No, it's not. Look at Jeremiah 29, 11. In Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, Jeremiah is prophesying to Israel, God's people who are in exile because of their sins, because of their idolatry. And listen to what Jeremiah says to them. This is the word of the Lord now. This is prophecy. It's God speaking. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God works all things according to his purpose and plan, and he has given us a future and a hope. He works even the most evil act for good. And you say to me, how can he do that, Al? Because God took the most evil thing ever done and worked it for the best, most, the best thing that could ever come out of that, and that was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on the cross. He took the most evil thing, and brought the greatest good, our salvation, through it. Acts 2, 22 to 24. Peter preaching the first sermon in the church. Peter preaching after the Spirit has been given. Peter inhabited now and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in him, anointed him, preaching. He's preaching the gospel. God is about to call and justify thousands. What a day in redemptive history. Listen to what Peter says. Men of Israel, they're all standing there watching him. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified, that took courage, and killed by the hands of lawless men, the Romans. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was impossible, it was not possible for him to be held by it. Our greatest good is this salvation. God worked the greatest evil to bring the greatest good to mankind, to us. And that is what we rejoice in. May that be what you rejoice in, dear Christian. Dear unbeliever, may you repent and believe in him right now. And if you are suffering, friend, I pray that this, sermon, this scripture would communicate God's care and more than that, the spirit within you, if you're a believer, as he intercedes for you with groans, words not even spoken, you would sense God's care. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Worship team, would you please come up? I do want to conclude with the song. Lord God, I pray for those that are suffering this morning. I pray for those that have been sinned against and therefore doubt your care. Those that have sinned and wonder, have they forfeited your care? And really, for all of us, we've done both. We've been sinned against and we have sinned. Lord, I pray that you would comfort your people now. 
Father, I pray that you would call, effectually call your people, perhaps sitting in this room right now who were not Christians a moment ago, but right now you would call them that this, this gospel that I just preached, your gospel, would be the effectual calling. You would give them, Lord, eyes to see and hearts to believe, repent, trust you, declare you, pronounce you, proclaim you, confess you as Lord. Lord, we need you. We need so much help. We're so weak. We're crying out to you, God, for your spirit to move in our hearts and in our church. For, Lord, when you move, our lives are changed. And we know a taste of heaven right here. So we cry out to you for more in Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing that song, When You Move. sense that we just need to sing that second verse one more time and this may be you it may not be but this was me earlier this week um, 
if you could put the second verse up, when I sang this, when Zeke published the songs that he was going to lead us in, and I sang the second verse, God convicted me in a certain way. Maybe he's convicting you in this way. Let me just share it with you, and then we'll sing, and then I'll close this with a benediction. Yeah, Father, you know all our needs long before we even speak. That's so true. This text tells us that. But this is the line that got me. But your heart is what we seek. We look to you. And I just thought, you know, Lord, so often I pray these passionate prayers. And sometimes I wonder, is it your heart I'm seeking or is it just my will that I'm seeking? And even when my will is a good thing, it's not like I'm asking for things that are wrong. But sometimes I can get lost. Like, am I seeking your heart, Father? Even if your heart means that I suffer and decrease. Whenever we forgive others, we suffer and decrease. Whenever we treat others as more significant than ourselves, we suffer and decrease. I could go on. You understand where I'm going? So let's just sing that verse. If it's you, just you just do business with God in your heart. Sing that verse in the chorus, Zeke, and then I'll pronounce the benediction. come and move in our hearts that are so easily swayed and so easily drift off course so easily discouraged so easily our faith can seem to vaporize like a mist when the sun the warmth of the day hits it Lord so easily shaken but you're never shaken you are firm until the end You promise that he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ. And Lord, it's your spirit, Father, we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it is your spirit praying within us as well, who's here, giving us hope and assurance, communicating to us. We are your children, bearing witness with our spirits. We are children of God. I know we need that so much. So we thank you. We thank you look this way if you are a believer this is for you this is a blessing from the word of God from Romans may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound dear church in hope amen amen